Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Just like that, the second hour is here. Hot Mike with Hutton Withrow across the Outkick Network. Wednesday edition coming up in 20 minutes. Clay Travis will join us. Always a great conversation there. We'll get his take on Taylor Swift sitting with Kelsey's mother and T-Swift taking the NFL by storm, the world by storm. Everyone's learning football all of a sudden. Well, that's uh, Clay. What's, uh, what's more impactful, him dating Taylor Swift or doing a Pfizer ad? Yeah, yes. I think we know the answer. I think I know, I think I know what Clay's answer is going to be. Yes. Uh, we've, uh, coming up uh, as well later this hour, Ross Tucker, host of the Ross Tucker, uh, Ross Tucker Football Podcast. Um, a lot to discuss across the NFL with Ross. And um, we also head to Rome. That's where the Ryder Cup is taking place. And Ned Michaels, golf analyst, will be on with us in an hour. Chad, what was uh, – let's – help me out here. So your theory on – and your opinion on Zach Wilson is he just really doesn't like playing. Like he he likes, not loves. He doesn't really want the starting job, but he's going through the motions kind of. I think someone needs to have a heart-to-heart with Zach Wilson and honestly ask him the question, is this what you want? Is this really what you want to do? I, I see him fall so, down in the pocket without getting hit. And, th- I mean, there's got to be a point where if you're just psychologically damaged playing something to the point that I don't know that this is fun right now, maybe he's reached that point. But do you really want to go through this? Do you really want to be the starting quarterback for the New York Jets right now, given everything going on, given the level of scrutiny and everything else? I, I don't believe him when he talks to the media right. about what he's saying. And I'd like to look him in the eye and know, is this something you actually want? So let me, in a way, connect this to my, my personal Lane Kiffin conundrum. I am aboard the Lane train through and through. Love the dude. Uh, love conversations with him. Think that he's entertaining. And quite frankly... If I'm in college, I would love Lane Kiffin as my football coach. Except when it comes to the massive games of impact and when it comes to climbing the ladder. This offseason, this past offseason, he was paid and given a raise at Ole Miss that I didn't think they would pony up and pay in Oxford, Mississippi. He's being tied to Auburn. This was after, uh, a year after, he wanted the Miami gig and didn't get it. And, of course, Hugh Freeze ends up landing the Auburn job. But not before, uh, I believe John Sokoloff is his name. Maybe I'm mispronouncing his, his, his last name. Um, Sokoloff. He tweets that it was a done deal that Kiffin was going to Auburn to be the next head coach uh, of the Tigers. And, of course, Kiffin went after that report. Well, that was roughly 10 or 11 months ago. And as he's getting set to lead Ole Miss into Tuscaloosa, to face a Nick Saban coach team that's beatable, that would define Lane Kiffin's coaching tenure in college, going to Tuscaloosa and beating Bama at Ole Miss, 
against Saban, who he was the offensive coordinator for, and they've got ties, but at times Kiffin has had a good team, not great team, but good enough to go on the road and compete. And when they go there, they don't compete. This year, they should have been doing that. And they were dominated in the second half. And prior to that massive, massive matchup, what could have been a career-defining victory, he's back on social media going after that reporter about the same stupid feud where the reporter uh, Sokolov posted on X, he's getting back on board with Ole Miss. He's tweeting, and let me pull this up officially. He's saying, hey, you know, uh, starting to buy into what I'm seeing from Ole Miss, uh, some upsets and different things could be on the horizon. And there's a retweet from Kiffin that's just like, nope, too late to jump on board the train now. You know, from from Kiffin. I, I like that. But at some point, that shtick just gets old when it's the same results in the big moments. And my conundrum is, for as much as I want to buy in, and I'm all aboard the lane train, I simply know, not just in the back of my mind anymore, it's up front, that he's not going to win in those big moments. Why? Tying it back into what Chad said about Zach Wilson. I think he... He loves the spotlight. He loves the hype. But in those massive moments, either way, he knows he's winning. He's winning the storyline of the offseason. He can create that. He, wants, he loves love. He wants to be wanted by outside universities and programs. He'll get that again. And he wanted a raise. He got that. And when it comes to beating Saban and Bama, that's just not going to happen. And he knows that. And I think, in a way... It's the same conundrum that Zach Wilson is under. Agree or disagree? I agree with you wholeheartedly. And, and here's the thing about Ole Miss. I think, Hutton, that they understand that they're not Bama, that they're not LSU. Bama's not Bama this year. No, but I'm that's, saying like, – That's where I'm coming pro, from. Program-wise. Like, I, right. I'm not – he needs, he needs to have beaten Alabama once. I'm not claiming that at Ole Miss you can't beat Bama occasionally or once if you're Lane Kiffin, Right. Hell, Hugh Freeze did it twice when he was at Ole Miss. Ole Miss understands that they're not one of the top programs historically and resource-wise in the SEC. My issue with Lane Kiffin is he's a very good coach that is doing good things at Ole Miss. And if you are an Ole Miss fan, you're going to be happy with the results overall. But he's not a ceiling-shattering type coach at Ole Miss. He's not Hugh Freeze, even at well, Ole Miss. Okay, that's a good example. Hugh Freeze won bigger games than Lane Kiffin. But that, that should be the expectation, is the Hugh Freeze level. And on September 22nd, so over the weekend, on Friday, you've got the, the, the report out of Starkville from 10 months ago about he's taking the job at Auburn. It's already done. Um. And what, this is right before the Egg Bowl. Is that when he reported this? Yeah. So that, that ties in to why Kiffin, you know, this irritated him so much. But John Sokoloff tweets, I know it's early, but if Jackson Dart has another big week at Alabama and Ole Miss can pull out a win in Tuscaloosa, I think he definitely belongs in the Heisman conversation. He arguably should already be part of that conversation. That was the post on X. And Kiffin 
and I think in, and this is where we are four games into to prime time. Dion would have used that as a promotion for his player, right? Kiffin says, John trying to jump on Ole Miss bus now. No thanks, hashtag state guy. On the eve of what could have been a career-defining victory for him at Ole Miss, quite frankly. And yet we wait. I, I just, I'm all aboard lane train status. But I know I'm, if I'm really t- banking on the fact that that moment's going to happen, I'm going to continue to wait. And I'm not going to be fooled on this again. I'm tired of backing, I'm tired of backing the Rebels in the big games where I think Kiffin's taking his team on the road and winning. I started last week by saying he came off the field in Oxford and was saying the right things, promoting his defense and what they did so well and telling Cole Kublik when asked, a uh, producer in his ear told Cole to ask about Bama and he said, yeah, I guess man, we're going to Tuscaloosa. Yeah, we've got to face Nick Saban. We'll be on the road. And just walked off. Didn't try to make some joke, make it humorous or you know, try to uh, go viral. And I thought that was because of the mentality of, hey, we, if we lock in now, we've got a team that can actually beat Bama's team this year. And that wasn't the case. They were rolled, steamrolled in that second half. I also, going back to the Zach Wilson comparison where I don't believe him, I just don't believe, it's not that I don't believe Lane Kiffin, I don't believe Lane Kiffin is truly all in. Yeah, does he at want, Ole Miss? Well, and is I, he all in anywhere though? Exactly. I wouldn't believe he's all. I didn't believe he was all in as offensive coordinator at Alabama. I don't think he was all in as head coach at FAU. Certainly wasn't all in as coach at Tennessee leaving after one year. It's like the only place that he would have been was USC. Maybe and USC failed. was the all in mentality from him, and that was his dream gig. And then he got fired, and it was it was almost like the moment he got fired, it was I'm just not going to care. Yeah. Again, I got fired by the Raiders. I got fired at USC. I'm just going to be happy-go-lucky, sarcastic, dry sense of humor lane. I'm going to rib people on social media. I'm going to get into it playfully with reporters, and I'm not really going to care. He stokes the flames of you know going back to Tennessee or entertaining offers from Auburn. That stuff is fine if you're winning at a historic level at your program and your fans and administration will put up with it. I don't think it's as cool when you're not winning at a historic level. Again, he's in no danger. Ole Miss is good under Kiffin. Fans should be happy with their production on the football field. But it's not like he's setting the world on fire. So I'm, I'm with you on that. And I think my biggest issue with him is I just don't believe him half the time. Not that I think he's some liar. I just don't believe that he's completely bought in anywhere he is. And that's Ole Miss included. And, and for a while, people have... The opinion of some have been, or has been, hey, you know, he he makes all these little uh, pokes fun or jabs or pokes the bear on social media or, or fan bases in order to deflect attention off of what's about to happen. You know, and, and in this case, the post-game interview, he didn't do that, but he did the night before the game or the day before with the reporter who from Starkville who said he was going to Auburn. Like, again, it's just... Uh, I'm beginning to buy into that theory more and more as the same results continue to happen in the biggest games. And I, I, I want him to be much bigger than that. I just don't think he, I don't know if he wants to be. He yeah, definitely, I, I don't think he, there's no way he thought he'd be at Ole Miss this long. And there's, no. I think he's, he's like me. I didn't think he was going to get paid what he got paid in the raise. I don't think he thought Ole Miss would pay him either over $9 million and put him on par with uh, the highest paid coaches in not just the country, but, I mean, if you're comparing salaries in the SEC, he's in that next group along with Heupel. 
I think he's I knew re- Tennessee would pay Heifel. I yeah. didn't think Ole Miss was I paying him. I think he's him. resigned himself to say, I'm just going to be a guy who's filthy rich that makes a ton of money, the most I can make at this place, but I'm at a place with limitations. The other thing that gets old to me is he talks too much about the limitations. Like, he's too – you can be too honest and forthright about, well, well you know, we're just not going to get some of the same players and we get guys who are good and then we got to pay them just to keep them here because they, they're going to get better opportunities than Ole Miss. Yeah, but – And no one that's a supporter of that school wants to hear those excuses. You're right. But at the uh, in the same breath, though, he's discussing, you know, how, how much the – the discussion about him going, the, the, the wrong report about him already accepting the job at Auburn actually helped them in the portal, when transfers and when recruiting and yeah. the collective. Like, it's just, uh, that he, he was saying that 10 months ago. And he's also on board with the federal legislation and someone getting in charge of not just NIL, but the portal itself. And I don't know why he's leaning that way because he benefits from it. And even if he only gets two star, like, he gets two four-star recruits. Where are those recruits going if they don't choose Ole Miss? They're going to Georgia or Alabama. So at least you're keeping two of the players that you otherwise wouldn't have based on NIL instead of them being depth pieces on the superior teams across college football. That builds parity, and that gives you more talent in order to go on the road and compete against a not-as-talented Alabama squad this year. Yeah, That's evident. I've got a conundrum of my own. Can I, can I lay it out to you? Jump on board. Uh, big Braves guy. The Braves are having the a Bravos. historic year. The Braves Tomahawk last chop. night became the third team in the history of Major League Baseball to hit 300 home runs in a season. Seven more home runs in the next five games. They have five games left. They will have hit more home runs than any team in the history of the game. And that's not where it ends. They have plenty of offensive stats that put them in a company of one, the 27 Yankees when it comes to offensive baseball. Here's my problem with the Braves. I don't think they're getting out of the division series because their starting pitching is a problem. Bryce Elder showed that again last night. Mm. They're behind 6 nothing quick in that game because of a lack of starting pitching. Do I believe in Spencer Strider, a guy that for a big chunk of the year was in the NL Cy Young race? Absolutely. But is it a big problem when Charlie Morton and Max Fried are both dealing with finger issues? And are on the 15-day IR, and they're not coming back until maybe the NLDS, but definitely for the NLCS, if they can make it back by then, that is a huge problem. This Braves team can score runs on anyone, and they have shown that time and time again this year. It's a historically great offense. But you do not win in October unless you've got a good three- or four-man rotation that can go head-to-head with anyone. I'm not a believer in the Braves rotation at this point. Can you just outslug people in every game? Maybe they're going to be the first to do that, but I don't think so. I'm not overly optimistic. This has been a fun ride. It's been a great season, but Hutton, I am not overly optimistic. If it's the Braves Phillies, which I think it's likely to be in the NLDS, I'm not hot on the Braves starters, especially two guys coming off the 15-day IR that you're going to rely on heavily. Charlie Morton, in all of his postseason experience, at close to 40 years old at this point in his career, who is a great postseason pitcher. Max Freed can have lights-out stuff. Not buying those two coming off the injury. I am buying Spencer Strider. But for those reasons, starting pitching, I think, will cost these Atlanta Braves well, in the playoffs. How consistent can their offense be? 
That's their saving. Because the bullpen games and, and the playoffs don't win. Don't no. win. I, they, if these guys are clicking, they're top three starters. If I said, how, what's Strider, the average number of runs? Freed, and Morton. Average runs needed to not worry about the pitching situation. I mean, they've had months they've averaged over I, eight I know, runs a game. I know, but see, I would be confident in that lineup. I, I'm not. I'm not confident because the Braves are now going. You're also not going to see any, you know, sub level pitching. Right. You're going to see the best guys for every team. They've raked off them too. With this starting pitching right now and the situation they're in, now this is saying this is me banking on those two guys not coming back and being great in the postseason. They're going to need to score six, seven, eight runs a game to have a chance. That's tough. That's yeah. tough to accomplish, especially in October. And it sucks that they – you harped on this at the deadline. They set back while – and I'm assuming they tried. Well, some of it's bad luck. I mean, they need these guys to come back. The plan is they put them on the 15-day DL in and time to come back when they're coming off the wild card series to host 16 different starters games. is not the remedy no. for that. Clay Travis joins us next. A lot to discuss, including Kelsey and Taylor. That's next on Hot Mike. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hot Mike with Honey Withrow rolls on across the Outkick Network. Glad you're with us. You can join us on YouTube. Search out Outkick there. Subscribe to the channel. You can join the chat as well, the live chat going. Chat's live hopping. From 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. We say hello to Clay Travis, founder of Outkick, who joins us weekly. Clay, hope things are well, man. Doing well. How are you guys? We are, we are doing great. Uh, is it great to be Travis Kelsey right now? Uh, two months ago, he's he's trying to hand Taylor Swift a friendship bracelet with his phone number on it. Two months later, she's in a suite at Arrowhead with his mom. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, certainly, I think Taylor Swift is going to be the richest musician of all time before all is said and done. So, uh, I mean, I don't know what her final net worth is going to be, but if um, the Rolling Stones are still touring in their seventies, I don't see any reason why Taylor Swift is not going to be singing those songs and have her audience with her for the next, you know, 40 or 50 years as well, potentially. Um, but I mean, I don't know what she sees in him. Uh, I think that's the more interesting question. Like, I don't think he's that good looking. Uh, he's near the tail end of his career. What's he going to do? Uh, WWE wrestle. I mean, yeah. is she going to date a WWE wrestler? Um, that seems unlikely to me. So, I think the end result here is it's a smart marketing play. Uh, the NFL and the Taylor Swift fan base probably don't overlap that much. Um, and so as you break this all down, it's a good way for both to expand their audience and sort of introduce their product to an audience that probably didn't know it that well. And, uh, you know, and then when she breaks up with him, um, she'll have another opportunity to write another breakup song, <laughs> yeah. uh, which uh, yeah. probably will have him as the most hated NFL player in the whole country because all of her fans 
are going to inevitably blame him. Yeah, well, Swifties attack. Sp- speaking of WWE, that would be the script, right? It's uh, the uh, the baby face turns heel, and uh, the the bad guy will be Travis Kelsey. Tra- uh, Clay Travis with well, us. Well, I just don't know what else he's going to. I just don't know what else he's going to do. I don't see him like he's near the end of his NFL career, right? I think he's like a thirty three year old tight end. Even if you give him four more years of playing at a high level there, um, you know what is his skill set otherwise? probably transitioning into a WWE style role. And in that regard, this only helps him, right? Uh, Because this makes him more famous, which probably increases what he can charge for his next job. So Fox had this and it's the highest rated game uh, for football. They've got what 20 plus million that tuned in to watch a 41 10 matchup between Kansas city and Chicago. And uh, which is insane. And how social media pushes that they have the the highest the biggest demo number one in uh female teenagers number one in females what 18 to 35 was it Chad? Uh, two plus two that plus was a, that was one women. of the demographics yeah, two and all up. female and i'm wondering clay because this was uh, the majority of the country got this game in the late afternoon but i wonder if this was your average noon kickoff on cbs or fox how the networks could maneuver to make sure, oh, Taylor Swift is on, is in the booth. Can we push this to a prime national audience instead of one region like Jacksonville, which would get the smallest uh, amount of eyeballs? Because that's exactly what's going to happen this week as the Kansas City visits New York to take on the Jets. If she's there, the over-under will be more than whatever it was for Brady and Giselle. Um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I actually think the biggest beneficiary here was not Taylor Swift and it wasn't the NFL and it wasn't Travis Kelsey. I actually think it was the bears because if she's not there, everybody is talking about the fact that the bears have lost 13 straight games. Yeah. The fact that Justin Fields has just fallen off the reservation, their defensive coordinator resigns. They can't score. They're embarrassed. I didn't even hear that much bears talk because I think the game was such a laugher that the Taylor Swift situation like sucked up all the oxygen. I'm sure in Chicago, it's a big story. Uh, but I feel like for the nation, the result was nobody's talking about how bad the bears look or how much that franchise has fallen apart. Clay, how odd is it that this, you, you mentioned the Allen Williams defensive coordinator resignation, that there's so much, this is shrouded in so much mystery around this resignation. They're talking about health concerns. Then there's reports of an FBI raid at his home and Hallis hall then they say, well, there was no FBI raid at Hallis Hall, but no one's really reported that it didn't happen at his house. Then you've got Adam Schefter saying it's inappropriate activity. Um, but I feel criminal. like someone yeah. should have this story by now, and it's very odd that no one's been able to report on it. Well, I think the general rule is if you resign in the season and you cite health conditions and you aren't hospitalized, it's probably not true, right? So – There certainly is something else going on here. Um, And I feel like there's probably legal ramifications, which is why no one has written about it so far. Uh, But I think it's just part and parcel of the Chicago Bears as an organization just being right now, let's be honest, an unmitigated disaster. No doubt about it. Uh, Also unmitigated disaster, Michigan State and Mel Tucker. Talking about legal ramifications, Clay, you're the perfect person to ask about this. What is the legal recourse right now for Mel Tucker, and, and what do you make of everything that's gone down? Apparently today is the official day. They've officially fired him uh, based off of the review. What do you think of Michigan State's handling of all of this, and what is Mel Tucker's response? 
Well, I mean, it's going to ultimately come down to whether this firing for cause is justified or not, right? There actually doesn't seem to be a large degree of dispute about what took place. And uh, to me, this is not cause, right? I mean, he didn't commit a crime. Um, I don't think personally that engaging in phone sex uh, is worthy of ending a $79 million contract. Um, I think the reality is if Mel Tucker had made the college football playoff last year, for instance, that Michigan State would have fought for him. I think probably they're not that happy with the direction of the program. And so they're using this story as justification to fire him. I think they'll probably end up settling. Um, You know, when you have this amount of money outstanding, uh, I think there'll probably uh, be a lawsuit. Certainly, Mel Tucker is going to sue and say, okay, you can fire me, but I'm entitled to $79 million. That's why I signed the contract. And my guess is that he'll probably end up uh, getting a fairly substantial agreed legal settlement settlement to avoid this going to uh, to court and a jury basically having to decide because he didn't break any NCAA rules. He didn't commit any crimes. Usually moral turpitude uh, would require one or the other of those. It's not just something that you did that's embarrassing. And oh, by the way, I think this is a bad precedent because do we really want every single university looking into the personal lives? Uh, again, non-criminal in nature, non-NCAA violative in nature um, of every coach in America. Uh, I, I just think Michigan State has a bad legal argument here. Um, I think they were wrong to fire Mel Tucker. Uh, but I think they're going to end up having to pay him tens of millions of dollars as a result of the firing. Clay Travis with us. Uh, On top of uh, some of the great football discussion this week has been uh, the response from coaches to 80-plus-year-old men. Uh, We've got Rodgers responding to to Joe Namath now on on Pat McAfee's show, but prior to that, Ryan Day uh, with Lou Holtz. Uh, Lee Corso is also being brought up and mentioned. What do you make of uh, the 80-plus demo being mentioned for by coaches who say they ignore the noise and and tune out all the naysayers. Yeah, the Ryan Day response was strange to me. Um, In the immediate aftermath of winning that game, you care so much about what Lou Holtz, who's 86 years old, said about your football program. Um, I just thought it was super weird. Uh, And and I don't think it it looks good for Ryan Day to be reacting in that manner. I mean, I would imagine – that the vast majority of people who watched Ohio State, Michigan, I'm sorry, Ohio State, Notre Dame, I bet the vast majority, I was one of them. Yeah. I had no idea what Lou Holtz had said about the game, right? So it might be a big deal to Ryan Day, but he actually made what Lou Holtz said much bigger of a story by talking about it with 10 million people watching right after the game ended. Uh, I had not heard anything Lou Holtz said, and why should I care? I mean, to me, the really amazing thing about all of this is how much these guys desperately crave some form of uh, some form of motivation in order to win a football game. And my thing is like, shouldn't you be able to motivate yourself? Um, You know, like to constantly be focusing on external noise as justification for why you should try your hardest or perform at your absolute apex level is to me a, uh, a failure of preparation and of your own internal drive. Like, I want to do super well at all of my jobs, irrespective of what anybody else outside of my job says about me. And it doesn't change my work ethic 
whether people say positive or negative things. Um, and so whether it's, you know, Ryan Day reacting, whether it's all the controversy surrounding Deion Sanders, um, it's amazing to me how much college kids need motivation. You're only playing 12 games. Um, you know, you may not be sky high for every game. I get it because every game's not a rivalry game. But you work as hard as these guys do when you work out all off season, and you only get about 36 hours to provide evidence of your overall talent and skill. Um, I'm not motivated by what anybody else says, uh, but evidently a lot of coaches and players are. Yeah, and tell me if I'm, I'm reading this too much, but I, 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 in the moment as he's ripping into Holtz, Chad, I, I'm thinking, man, uh, he's, he's showing relief from any pressure he was feeling because no one was saying they, they were soft against anyone but Michigan, not Notre Dame. And that is what Holtz said. He just thought they were, uh, they, they were good, not great, and the more physical team would win. And, of course, Holtz picked Notre Dame. And I'm thinking... If he loses that game, the, the amount of pressure on Day when he, they face Michigan later this year, and I realize it comes uh, up days after he gets a contract bump, it was odd to me that he went in that way instead of waiting until they beat Michigan to go off that way. And, and I just, I well, thought, I thought that, that was a coach feeling some pressure. Notre Dame actually was the more physical team for the entire second half. I mean, if they just run power, on the final full possession that they have and don't decide to try to get cute with a read option yeah. and don't decide to try to get cute again with a screen pass, then Notre Dame doesn't have the opportunity to score a touchdown on the final play of the game. The clock would have been uh, out before then. So I, I don't know the, the whole, uh, the whole reacting to what other people say. I mean, it's good. And I think it, it's a sign that college football is actually in a good place because conflict creates interest. Um, that's the number one rule of narrative, uh, you know, for anybody who ever studies stories, um, you know, the story ends and they lived happily ever after it doesn't begin that way. Um, and so you have to have a protagonist and an antagonist. And so that's what sports fans want. I mean, sports is a natural protagonist antagonist is one team trying to beat the other. It's uh, the essence of competition, but I just think, um, you know, reacting as if you are, uh, totally, uh, upset based on what someone's opinion was of your team is uh, is a bad look for Ryan Day, particularly when he's reacting to 86-year-old Lou Holtz. No doubt. Well, and Clay, protagonist, antagonist is how Vince McMahon made his money with WWE and professional wrestling, right? Now, That's the basis of everything every they do. Story, and every every story it's not, it's is, is based every, on that. Every story. Well, it's and, how every storyteller has made their has made their money since time immemorial. But I use that example, Clay, for this reason. I'm seeing a ton of college football coaches mimic pro wrestling this year. And I feel like it's all in response to Deion Sanders. They see television ratings. They see interest from recruits. They see everyone talking about Deion Sanders. And I think a lot of coaches are saying, should I be doing that? They're asking themselves that. And we're seeing more of this sniping back and forth. Dan Lanning, who I knew very little about as a public speaker, is now one of my favorite public speakers because he played Colorado. And they put his pregame pep talk on. Then he talked about Colorado after how much of this is just the Dion effect of coaches saying, I need to get my shine, I need to get some attention on my program, so I better talk like I'm Triple H from here on out? I think there's some truth to that. I also think we live in a media era, which is all very funny, where it's like a game of telephone. I mean, go look at how often a media story is simply giving somebody a quote and asking them to comment on it. I mean, that's like 90% of media point, now. Yeah. I mean, and it's not just, it's not just sports. It's like, so, uh, you know, X said Y, what's your reaction to Y? 
Um, and that's like almost every political story. <laughs> it's almost every sports story, it feels like. Um, because again, it fits that template of protagonist antagonist, and it's an easy story to write. Um, and so I feel like, um, it, it may be partly Dion, like people trying to mimic the Dion effect. I think it's also that most coaches that uh, we mentioned Lou Holtz, like most coaches used to follow the Lou Holtz, uh, idea, the mantra, which was you only said positive things about your opponent. You, you talk them up so that they were basically the equivalent of the 85 Bears, even if they're not very good, in an effort to try to strip away any kind of extra exterior motivation. And Dion obviously has been talking a lot. That then leads to people saying, Dion said X, what's your response? Why? And then you get a lot of sniping going back and forth, which I think, again, is good for overall interest in the sport. Uh, because it creates storylines and it creates rooting interests. And most people respond to those storylines and rooting interests um, because that's the essence of story itself. Clay Travis has been our guest. Uh, we'll give out his college picks later in the week. You can check them out right now at outkick.com. Clay, thanks so thanks, much, man. Clay. Appreciate you all. Thanks a lot. Yeah, there's Clay Travis, outkick.com. Coming up, Ross Tucker, host of the Ross Tucker Football Podcast. That's next right here on Outkick. Always great to uh, chat with Clay Travis. Coming up in 20 minutes, Ned Michaels will join us live from Rome, the Ryder Cup. Golf analyst, looking forward to that. Friend of the show. Hot Mike with Hunter Withrow rolls on across the Outkick Network and also friend of the show is Ross Tucker. You can check out the Ross Tucker Football Podcast, available now, available anytime, wherever you download your audio. Ross, good to see you, man. Hope things are well. Yeah, likewise. Always good to see you guys. Everything's great. Thank you. I'm, I'm ready. Uh... My daughters have one of their last softball games. I already got my uniform nice. on. Nice. Ready to ready to head over there right after the interview. What what age are, are your daughters playing softball? And I, I coach my daughters, I ask, I coach her daughter my daughter's eight U softball team, coach pitch. So I'm the pitcher and the head coach. So I've been coaching them since six U. Wow. They are ten and eleven. And this is their first time playing fall ball. And it's so funny in terms of coach pitch because, like, you're trying to throw an all-hitter. Instead of a no-hitter, like an all-hitter. <laughs> yeah. And when they strike out, I feel like it's my fault. Like, I have failed them by not giving them perfect pitches to hit. You're trying to hit bats. And you're right, yeah. Ross. No, no one can fully understand the pressure, especially when it's one of your good players and it's not your kid, and you get that fifth pitch, which is the max in our league. And if you throw it wild on that one – you know that it's absolutely your fault that they struck out, and it feels awful if that happens. Yeah, and the other parents are there, and you just want the kid to get a hit so that they're happy. And You just hear the, oh, that. from the parents, too. Oh, the collective sigh, the groan, <laughs> the, oh, when the kid strikes out because and, of and you. And meanwhile, by the way, I was, I was not good at baseball. You know what I mean? Like, it, like I can yeah, teach them stuff thanks. about football or even basketball, but like baseball or softball, I'm out there trying to give them pointers. I feel like saying to them, hey, just so you know, I, I couldn't do this either. <laughs> yeah, I get it. It's tough. But that's good. You can commiserate with them when they're struggling. It's like, hey, I, I understand your pain. Rough. Exactly. But it's so cool, especially when one of the girls that 
isn't the best, like makes an out or gets a hit and like is so happy and smiling. Like the game ball. One of the best feelings ever. It's, it's the best. We had a girl last night who's not put the ball in play yet this year. And we're in game number 10. Struck out every time, has not put it fair. And she hit the ball to first base last night. Nice. She got out. We'll she got it. out. But I mean, our parents, you'd have thought we just won the World Series. The <laughs> celebration from the parents. I picked her up on. I mean, it was awesome, uh, that feeling. So I know exactly what you're talking about. Ross Tucker with us here on Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow. Fill in the blank for me here, Ross. If Tua stays healthy, what? Tua stays healthy, the Miami Dolphins will um, go far in the playoffs. <laughs> Miami Dolphins will have a chance to set some records. Certainly franchise, although I don't know, man. Marino made some of those records rough, like yeah. real rough to break, <laughs> but... No, I, I literally put out on social media, I think yesterday or today, at Ross Tucker NFL, I feel like we're a game or two away from this offense needing a nickname. Mm. And people, I mean, the Dolphins fans, they already had a Legion of Zoom, um, greatest show on surf. Uh, they have Ocean's Eleven. <laughs> I kind of like, I, I kind of like the perfect storm, which I came up with because they got about the fastest team we've ever seen with the best mad scientist play caller, play designer in the NFL right now and Mike McDaniel. So the fastest six times or something that any NFL player who's had the ball in their hands this year has all been different Dolphins players, like three or four different Dolphins players. It's just remarkable that they already had Jalen Waddle, but the NFL let them get Tyreek Hill. And by the NFL, I mean the other teams. Or they had those guys and Mostert, and the NFL let them draft Devin Achan from AM. I mean, those guys are just lightning. It is rare to see NFL players make other NFL players look slow, but they got several guys that do it almost consistently. Yeah, speed kills and speed thrills uh, in South Beach. Uh, Ross, do you feel about the same as you did last year about Miami prior to Tua's concussion? struggles and, and and stretch or is it different now I feel different because of Fangio really about this team more than I do the offense thousand percent well first of all I think that they're better up front on the offensive line and I think they can run the ball better whereas last year it felt like it was mainly just you know the quick passes to Waddle and Tyreek Hill the crossing yeah. routes the in-breaking stuff and those guys are so fast but their defense is much better I mean, last year, I don't know what Josh Boyer, their D coordinator, was doing sometimes. You know, maybe he knew something I didn't, but I, I thought they struggled schematically on defense at times last year. That's not the case with the Vic Fangio. They made him the highest-paid defensive coordinator in the league for a reason. I think he's showing it. You know, they lose Jalen Ramsey, and they're still undefeated, and they're still playing pretty well on that side of the ball. They've got some real guys up front off the edge, Jalen Phillips and Chubb. And then in the middle, Christian Wilkins is an absolute stud. And then you got Zach Sealer as well. I mean, they just have, they have good players at the right spots. They've got a coach who has a really good scheme. I mean, they're good. I, I do power rankings every Tuesday on the Ross Tucker podcast. I am as the number one team. Now I think it's them and San Francisco too. I have Philadelphia number three, but just because of how dominant they've been offensively and doing it in different ways. I've got the Dolphins as the best team in football right now. 
Ross, a great job, by the way, on the Titan Saints broadcast yes. with, with Jason McCourty uh, to open the season. I, I, I watched that one. I'm curious about your thoughts on the Titans from, from this perspective. What exactly is this team right now? I think Titans fans want to know. They see the struggles with Ryan Tannehill, but there's much bigger struggles on the offensive line. Where exactly are they in their franchise in what appears to be kind of a soft rebuild but not really. What what is this team exactly? Funny uh, because I, I actually asked Vrabel, who's a former teammate of mine, that exact question. You know the balance between trying to win right now versus building for the future. And you know he said probably what he had to say, and 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 I think he believes, which is they're always trying to win. And I don't think they would bring in DeAndre Hopkins for one year if they weren't. So I agree with him. But he also made the point that, listen, you know, every NFL team is always trying to get younger, better, cheaper at every position, and it's the veteran's job to hold them off. I think it's what's really tough is to have Hopkins and Tannehill and Henry with this offensive line. They put a lot of faith in Andre Dillard and a lot of money, and that's not been rewarded. And I think a lot of Philadelphia people, I got to be honest with you guys, I, I thought he would do better than this. I thought watching him in Philly, he was not good his rookie year. He got beat out by Mylotta, but he had filled in enough the last couple of years that I thought Dillard would perform better than he has so far. He's not a starting tackle in the NFL on, on a regular basis. And so, and then losing Skaronsky for the last couple of games is hurt. It's, it's weird because they actually feel to me like maybe the team that the Jets should really call and say, hey, are you ready to move on from Tannehill? Are, are you sure? You know, because it is the last year of his contract. They drafted Malik Willis and Levis back-to-back. I think that would just be very hard this early in the season for Vrabel to sign off on, and I get it, you know? Brable knows what it was like to be in the locker room. You know, Rand Carthon has a pretty good feel for that, right? Like, it's hard to, after three weeks, look Jeffrey Simmons and Kevin Byard and Hopkins and those guys in the eyes when you go with Levis or Malik Willis, a quarterback, and and tell them to go out there and give it everything they have because you're trying to win the division if you trade Tannehill to the Jets. I think that's that's sort of the predicament that they find themselves in right now. So I don't think they'll do it. And honestly, the way the AFC South's looking and the way the Jaguars are playing, I don't think they should. I mean, I was one of the few people before the season, guys. I had the Titans winning the division at eight and nine. I I have the Titans and the Jags both eight and nine and the Titans winning the division. And that's still obviously very attainable. So the NFC South is just now flipped to the AFC South from last year to this year. Ross Tucker with us. At Ross Tucker NFL is where you can follow him on social, the Ross Tucker Football Podcast as well. Uh, going into week four, Ross, which team, or you can have multiple answers here, are you most uncertain about still after three weeks watching them? Uh, one that jumps out to me, I guess, is Cleveland on the offensive side of the ball. Now, I there, there's not a more improved unit in the league than Cleveland's defense. They were a liability last year. You guys just saw it. You know, the people that follow the Titans on Sunday, their defense is awesome this year. So they're kind of proof positive that you can make that big flip 
in one offseason with a couple new pieces and a new D coordinator. But I'm wondering if Watson can sustain that level of performance. Probably not a great look for the Titans, by the way, that Watson's best game for the Browns was against them, yeah. right? Um, so I guess I'm skeptical as to whether or not he'll be able to sustain that level of performance. So that's one that certainly jumps out to me. Um, I'm a little bit perplexed, I guess, by the Cowboys too. Mm. Thought maybe this year would be different, more mature. You know, to lose by double digits to the Cardinals like that, that that's, you know, some of these teams with these losses, the Ravens at home to the Colts, the Cowboys to the Cardinals, just telling you, in late December, early January, when we're talking about seeding and winning the division, those games are going to come back to haunt those teams. You can't lose those games. How angry are you if you're the Ravens? You mentioned them about that non-pass interference call uh, in overtime that would have would have set them up. That that that's one I'm, I'm watching live, and it looked pretty obvious to me watching it live. How much does that kill you if you're a team, if you're a coach, if you're John Harbaugh in that one? So it bothers you, and and it it bothered me. But I'll also say this: as a former player, I would always rather err on the side of caution not to throw the flag, then throw it. Now, I thought that was a penalty. I thought they should have thrown it, right? But what I'm saying is what's worse than not throwing it in that situation is throwing it when it shouldn't have been a hold or pass interference. And I also say this, if you're a Ravens fan or player, don't let it come down to that. I mean, don't, don't you know, you're going against Gardner Minshew and the Colts at home. That game shouldn't be in overtime. You shouldn't need a, a it's a, a fifty-three yard to make field a goal fest, to win that game, right? I mean, that, they got yeah. beat by fifty-three yard field goals over the course of the game. Yeah, and how about that too? By the way, when's the last time the Ravens got like out field goal kicker? <laughs> you know, <laughs> great point. It, which, if that's even a thing, that, that's what happened to them. Ross Tucker with us. Uh, two minutes left here, Ross. Are you more intrigued? I, I mean, this uh, honestly here. The, the, we have a matchup of zero and three and zero and three with Denver and Chicago. There's going to be plenty of headlines there. Or Miami and Buffalo, because we're still going to be talking about Miami and Buffalo later in the year. We're not talking about either the Broncos or the Bears later in the year, but the whole storyline of week five for Denver with Hackett and the Jets coming to town is, I mean, this sets the scene and the table in Chicago on Sunday. Correct. Well, I'm still more interested in Dolphins. I like the drama. I like the drama. Yeah, however, out of the Bears and the Broncos, the Broncos situation is really interesting because there are some people who will tell you that Russell Wilson is not playing that bad. Yeah. But Sean Payton is not used to this. 70 points. <laughs> and, I mean, if they lose to the Bears, he's from there. He's from Chicago. Things could get real ugly in Denver really quick because this is not what Sean Payton signed up for. This is not what he came back for. So I'm I, I am fascinated by that. The Bears are just the Bears look like they're already done, right? Yes. Like whereas in Denver with Sean Payton, you still expect him to be able to figure something out. And even if it's not this year with Russell Wilson, they'll get their quarterback in the offseason for next year, whatever, right? Whereas for the Bears, it's like they might need a new coach again. They might need a new quarterback again. I mean, it's just like the same old story for the Bears. It's really a shame. A new security guard as well with the theft that took place at Soldier Field uh, over the weekend. Hey, uh, Ross, always great to catch up with you, man. We love the podcast, Ross Tucker Football Pod. If you haven't heard it, uh, 
They have. You know how to find it. You can also find him on social at Ross Tucker NFL. Thank you for the time and the visit. We'll do it again Good luck soon. in the softball game. Of course. Thank you. Yes, we need it. My daughter is the ace pitcher. Hopefully she'll throw strikes. Thank yeah, you. That's right. Time to win. Break at the plate as well. Time to win. We head to Rome next for the Ryder Cup. Ned Michaels joins us live on Hot Mike.